Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, September 27th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Another Power 5 conference has gotten off the ground. (laughs) Most teams in said Power 5 conference have gotten off the ground, that being the SEC. Colin, I think you would agree this is probably the most loaded show that we've had so far this year. We've got a ton to talk about. We have not done a show over an hour yet. We don't plan on making this over an hour tonight, but my goodness, I'm going to have to talk like an auctioneer if we're going to get it in in under an hour. A lot of newbies back. A lot of you have lives in the summer and you don't have time to be watching every show that we do. That's fine. You're back to the table now. We're all back to the table. We're all together again. Feels great. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already and go find the Late Kick Extra podcast and subscribe there. There's a lot on the channel here you don't get in the podcast. There's a lot in the podcast that you don't get here on the channel. With that being said, LSU got stunned yesterday. Some of you say you weren't stunned. I can guarantee you LSU folks were. So we're talking about that. Georgia, a comfortable victory. If you look at the final score, they got issues up there. We got to talk about that. We're going wall to wall in the SEC. We got reaction on pretty much everything that happened there. The Big 12, I did a tweet that promotes the show. And all I did was I put the throw up emoji. That is the Big 12 right now. Texas and Oklahoma, counting on you to carry the torch out there, and you fumbled it and caught yourself on fire just about yesterday. We were talking about that. We are giving you a best bet, and why wouldn't you want a best bet? We didn't lose a single game yesterday. We were 4-0-1. We have moved to 6-3-1 on the season. If you're keeping record at home, every single one of you should have made money so far following us. And if Gary Patterson had opted to just kick an extra point yesterday at the end of the game, it would have been 5-0. We're not ones to complain around here because we don't think that was a lucky week. We feel like we're able to do that pretty regularly. So we are going to do that at the end of the show tonight. Also, I wanted to just say some things here. I want to kind of set the mood. Normally, I just dive right into the first point, but I want to set the mood here. In a normal year, this time every single season, I will say something to the effect of, let's hold off on crowning anyone. Let's hold off on jumping to any conclusions. It is normally very unwise in a normal year to draw definitives after week one. In this year, in 2020 college football, I think it's downright foolish. That's going to be a common theme on the show tonight. No one season is over. No one has been crowned anything. However, so however is in all caps. I literally wrote it on this piece of paper. However, in all caps, as much as I'm telling you to take week one for what it was, I'm now going to tell you we just witnessed the most important week one in the history of the Southeastern Conference. And the reason it was is not because the games count any more than they normally do, but think about what you were and weren't able to get in the offseason. We told you it was well chronicled on Late Kick when we gave you our whispers and intel segments. There were some teams out there we couldn't get a read on at all. Even knowing people inside the programs and close to the programs, a lot of these coaches just walled off practice and they walled off any kind of information coming out. And that's great for them. But what it means for you is, and what it means for me in a lot of cases is, we knew even less about these teams coming into 2020 and coming into week one yesterday than you normally do. And the reason I say that is, normally you have a, a, you've seen a team in spring, you've gotten legitimate information from practice, and so normally you have somewhat of a concept in your mind of what a team looks like. I'll give you an example. We're going to go to LSU in a second, but I'm not starting it yet. But Miles Brennan is quarterback for LSU. You have heard things about him. You have heard whispers. You've heard Ed Orgeron, for example, pretty reliable source, you would think at LSU, tell you that, well, Miles looks great. Like, we have full confidence in him. And so you hear all that. But then your eyeballs yesterday tell you a different story. Normally, the default that's been wired into your mind for months and months and months, it takes more than one week to unseat that. However, we have to, with Miles Brennan and zooming out further, you have to assume with any preconceived notion you had this year, it could have been faulty. 
In a normal year, it could, but this year you are really prone to faulty and false information that has developed a preconceived idea of a player or a unit or a team in your mind that was totally untrue. And so I tell you that to set the stage for the idea that if we saw something yesterday that flies in the face totally of what we had heard or what we had kind of had rumored to be believed being true in the offseason, don't ignore what your eyeballs saw. Don't let months of rumors and whispers and intel overtake what your eyeballs saw yesterday. So that's going to be kind of a theme tonight. With that in mind, let's dive in. This one kind of rocked the foundation of the SEC yesterday. Mike Leach and Mississippi State roll into Baton Rouge. 44-34 is the final score. Tigers not on top. It was the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And I tell you, if I got one text, I got 500 texts yesterday and emails and DMs on Twitter. And here's what they all sounded like. Colin, I'll tell you right now. Every single one of them said, what happened? Or what went wrong? That was the question. It couldn't be that, oh, Mike Leach and Mississippi State just went in there and won, which they did. But Having said that, this is atypical to what most people expected. Go back to the point I made before we started the show here. So what happened? What went wrong? And I've talked to a lot of you. I've conversed with a lot of folks at LSU today, very close to the program. And some people want to talk about quarterback, and some people want to talk about defense or lack thereof, who was out, uh, offensive line. My take on this is so much more fundamental than apparently a lot of you. A lot of you have taken a deeper dive into this. I don't think it's necessary, to be honest with you. The problem is LSU is not a football team. This was my biggest concern about them. You have probably heard me say this a few times, and it doesn't sound like it makes a lot of sense because who in the world in a normal year, there's that phrase again, would be talking about a team not being a team. I mean, it's time to play the season. They don't wait until you say you're ready. Like, it's on the calendar, and we got to go. Well, starting, starting point got here. Like, opening day got here. LSU is not a football team. I don't say that to question anyone's character there. I don't say that to question the competitive nature or the athleticism. I'm not questioning any of that. But I'm telling you, this version of LSU, the 2020 version of LSU, is not a football team. And so we add up everything because everybody's question. And my biggest fear was what was the cumulative effect going to be of losing all the guys to the draft, bringing in some new coaches, having a lot of overturn on the roster, losing spring. And everyone kind of went through a version of that. But then you got into the summer. And you got into a lot of churn still taking place. And then you got into fall camp. And there was some off-the-field unrest. But then you had guys start to opt out. And so I ask you, the version of LSU you saw on the field yesterday, how long has that group had to work together as a collective, as what you would hope would end up being a team? The answer is not several months. The answer is a couple of weeks. It's not a football team. There are some intangible characteristics and cohesives that have to exist to take a group of individuals and create what is a football team. That is a collective. That's a unit. LSU's not that. Yesterday, if you kept wondering, how is this going worse than what we think worst case is? It's because it's not a football team. That, what I saw yesterday, is about what you would expect LSU to be at in April, where you're, you're in spring practice and you're moving towards the spring game. How many spring games have you watched before that look atrocious, and then you go on to see that team contend for a championship in the fall? Alabama does it all the time. Alabama always looks terrible in their spring ball. Well, that was LSU yesterday. The problem is the game counted. And so there are a lot of accolades to be thrown towards Mississippi State. There's a lot that you need to understand and how to properly perceive what's happening with LSU. Because a lot of, I'm talking about my biggest fears, but your biggest fears. If you're an LSU fan, You had convinced yourself otherwise, but really the biggest lingering fear has always been. And one of the biggest allegations everyone else has thrown at you has always been and will continue to be for at least another week, 2019, flash in the pan. 2019, one-year deal, one-hit wonder. You know the deal. You know the saying. Two of the biggest logs, and really one, two, three, I got four big logs that you can throw on that fire, really, to maybe surmise that Ed Orgeron doesn't have as firm a grip on this stuff as he looked to have last year when everything he touched turned to gold and everything he said came to fruition. Well, if we're going to acknowledge that, which I did all of last year, we got to acknowledge a couple of things here too. Ed Orgeron, how many times did you hear him openly tell you our defense is better right now than it was at any point when Dave Aranda was here? Are you kidding me? Did you watch that yesterday? Unless you guys think Derek Stingley's worth three or four touchdowns. Did you watch that yesterday? No, Ed. So that's 0 for 1. 0 for 2. 
Ed Orgeron has fully endorsed Miles Brennan as the man at quarterback there, so much so that I reached out to someone down there just to make sure I was right in my assumption, and they kind of confirmed this. They didn't even heavily pursue anyone on the transfer market at quarterback, and there were some of them out there. Derek King, who's playing at Miami now, LSU didn't really go after him. Jamie Newman, turns out he's not playing anywhere, and boy, do we have a lot to say about Jamie Newman in Georgia coming up. Didn't really go after him. Uh, JT Daniels, there were some whispers about that, but they... It turns out they didn't really pursue him much either. For whatever reason, I want to put that caveat there. Those of you in the know know what I'm talking about. Not important. Uh, they didn't go after him. So they were totally convinced Miles Brennan's the guy. One game sample size yesterday leaves a lot to be desired, doesn't it? Uh, Ed Orgeron has said that this offensive line has things figured out. That offensive line was a sieve yesterday. And this was not exactly a Mississippi State defensive front that's loaded with future first and second round talent. Uh, You're going to see a lot better than that, unfortunately, coming up. And the run game, which I've repeatedly listened to Ed Orgeron tell us is the strength of that team, was anything but yesterday. So as much as he sounded so prophetic last year, this sounded like a dude who really didn't have a firm grip on what he had down there. It was like you squeeze it and it's jello. But you don't find out that it's jello until game day. I mean, KJ Costello threw for like half a mile yesterday, a 623 five touchdowns. I'm going to get to the Mississippi State side of things in just a second here, but I want you to just understand, and this is my take. Your opinion's worth every bit as much as mine, but I'm telling you, this is how I look at this right now. Trying to understand how to process it. It almost borders on a throwaway result for me, not for Mississippi State, but with LSU, it almost borders as an outlier throwaway result. It's like if I were watching a NASCAR race and there's this lead pack of cars and they're neck and neck, And then there's this one way off pace, and you say, that driver must suck. And then you get your binoculars out, and you say, is that a Corolla? How did a Corolla get out on the racetrack? It's kind of like what LSU looked like yesterday. The Corolla is not a race car. This didn't look like a football team, at least a football team that you would see taking the field at LSU. So the bigger question, I guess, is not about yesterday. That's over and done with. The big question is, can you become a football team during a football season? I don't know. I mean, Herman Boone and the Titans did it, but that's right, the Titans did it. They made a Disney movie about them. That's how rare it is. Conclusions about Mississippi State, we'll have a lot of time to talk about LSU. Conclusions about Mississippi State are being drawn. Conclusions about K.J. Costello and Mike Leach are being drawn. So I want to, I wanna, before we move on here, I want to give you my foundation for my expectation level for Mississippi State. I've, I've spoken to a lot of state fans And I don't agree. I'm just going to be blunt with you. I don't agree with your perception. These are the fans I've talked to. You may be different. I don't agree with your perception on what the baseline should be. I think Dan Mullen's the best coach they've ever had over there for an extended period of time. Dan Mullen did things there that I thought were incredible. Here's the problem. What Dan Mullen achieved is now being viewed as sort of the baseline, and success will be determined by who can achieve more than that. I don't find that to be realistic. But again, You can think otherwise, and you're fully invested in your program, so who really cares what I say? Having said that, when I look and I see what the expectation level is over there, I'm asking, how do you achieve that at Mississippi State and the SEC? And that's the lens through which I view your program, just to give you an idea of where I'm coming from. Because if you're trying to go five and five, everything you saw yesterday leads me to believe with zero doubt that's going to happen. If you're trying to push for six and four, you got a decent shot at it. If we're trying to be more than that, which Dan Mullen found ways to be, then we got to zoom in and we got to take off the kid gloves and we got to put on the big boy brass knuckles and we got to ask ourselves, is that duplicable? Because I see a lot of conclusions being drawn. We did a video on Mississippi State and Ole Miss like five months ago and conveniently a lot of people who have commented on it in the last 24 hours were ghosts when we originally did the video. KJ Costello, I want to reiterate, threw for 623 yesterday. Joe Burrow, probably the greatest season in the history of the Southeastern Conference, at no point last year achieved that. That What K.J. Costello and Mississippi State did to LSU yesterday, at no point last year did Joe Burrow and LSU ever do to anyone. Just to give you an idea of what we saw yesterday. Meanwhile, they rushed for like 10 yards. I understand sack yardage is accounted in there. They rushed for like 10 and threw for like 623. So is it duplicable? If that's just something that you can seamlessly roll out there every week, that's wonderful. I would encourage you, Before you get drunk on yesterday, I would just encourage you to remember, Mike Leach has been at Washington State for a while, 
there's a guy up there by the name of Jimmy Lake. He is now the head coach at Washington when the Pac-12 used to play football. We'll see him eventually. Uh, he was a defensive coordinator under Peterson. He is the head coach there now. They shut Leach down routinely. And the problem, I, I was listening to Jimmy Lake talk about it one day, and then I was he was kind of sort of diplomatic about it, but I listened to another coach who didn't have to be talk about it, and he used kind of a version of the metaphor I always use about that kind of offense. There's not a plan B. There's not really a fallback. You know what you do, and it works. And when it works, it looks great. There's no plan B. So a bicycle, you take the brake mechanisms off. Normal bicycle, you can slow down on it. But uh, in the Mike Leach bicycle, it's just either going full bore or it's not going. And when you come across someone who has physical corners but doesn't play press man all day and just let you go vertical over the top, Time after time after time after time, like Bo Pelini did, apparently being stuck in 07, which is the last time he coordinated a defense, by the way. Then you get a crowbar thrown in the bicycle spokes. And if it gets in there, the bike doesn't slow down. The bike just stops. You tumble over the handlebars. And so I think at this point, it would be foolish to believe that's not coming. Understand, this team's going to play Auburn. This team's going to play Alabama. This team's going to play Georgia. So if we believe, because I'm not there yet, if we believe that yesterday was this definitive conclusion and Mike Leach, as impressed as I was by it, if he's just stamped uh, air raid all over the forehead of every future coordinator they play, well, then so be it. And Mississippi State will be a surprise contender this year. I'm just telling you it's going to take a little bit more than week one against what I don't even perceive to be a fully functioning football team yet for me to believe that. Is that an excuse? Yes, it is. Should it matter to you? If you're a State fan, no. In fact, I don't even know why you're watching the video. You should still be out celebrating. I would be if I were you. But wow, there's a lot to fix at LSU. There's a lot of reason to be excited at Mississippi State because at the very least, I think yesterday proved that Mike Leach is getting ready to silence a lot of his doubters if they're still talking after yesterday. All right, let's move on. Georgia beat Arkansas. Yesterday, what was Georgia favored? By 24, 25, something like that. Anyway, they ended up covering for a lot of people. Georgia 37, Arkansas 10. If you had gone out to lunch or, or an early dinner and you did not see the first half of this game and you only saw the final, you would think, that's about what I expected. No, friends. No, it was not. It was anything but that. I was talking to Colin before the show. And if I could talk to Kirby Smart right now, here's what I would love to ask him. I've kind of talked about a version of this question with coaches before. How often are you, the head coach of a football team, surprised at a result in a game? How often are you shocked by your team's performance? Fans can be shocked. Media can be shocked. We don't run the team. It's not our design being carried out on the field. We don't see every rep in practice. They do. How often does something happen that surprises even them? And the reason I ask that is because it happened yesterday. It happened in the first quarter of this game when Dewan Mathis, who we told you for a couple of weeks was going to be the starter there and started for Georgia, and that coaching staff was very convicted in that decision. They put him on the field, and I think they were stunned at the result. I think they were stunned. I don't know any other way to put that. If you watched them yesterday, it was as if they were playing that game and coaching handcuffed around their ankles and around their wrists, totally shocked. I got a someone back home who shall remain nameless, who always makes so much fun of these coaches for talking about halftime adjustments and how they have to wait until halftime to make halftime adjustments. Well, George made the good old-fashioned halftime adjustment yesterday. Here's how the adjustment went. Uh, this Samir White dude, he looks like a bodybuilder, but he could also run really, really fast. Let's just hand it to him a whole lot more than we did in the first half. They don't have the athletes we do. Let's just lean on them and get out of here. And that's what they did. Halftime result. Halftime adjustment. But until then, oh man, that first half was as bad as I've ever seen Georgia look under Kirby Smart. It wasn't just the lack of offensive production. They had, where is it, 11 penalties for 98 yards. Not for the game. That would be bad. They had 11 penalties for 98 yards in the first half. Totally unprepared. And I think a lot of it had to do with the shell shock nature of a guy that they were convinced was the quarterback for them. And they were convinced because of everything they've seen in practice was going to shine in week one and be everything they needed him to be. And he was not. And they had to yank Dewan Mathis. After he got hit and he got rocked one time, uh, he was done. Mentally, he was done. And they had to bring not JT Daniels in because he's still not cleared. They had to bring Stetson Bennett the 19th. He's, he's one of those down-the-line genealogy kind of guys. Uh, he's got a number on the back of his name. So 
His number was called, and good for Stetson Bennett. However, things tilted in the second half. Order was restored, and that's all great. Like, you you got a win at Arkansas, and that's all that matters. Tough stretch coming up for Georgia. That's why we have been making the point that this Arkansas game was so important. They had to get off to a fast start. I don't know that you would call what they did yesterday a fast start. The reason it's so imperative is because their schedule's not backloaded. It's front-loaded. And the biggest question was, can they get quarterback figured out? If it's Dewan Mathis, that's great. Can they go about installing this offense? Remember, new coordinator, new offense, lack of spring. Can they install the offense for Dewan Mathis that's totally different than what they would have installed for maybe Jamie Newman, definitely JT Daniels, Stetson Bennett? That's the problem. When you're divvying up first-team reps, a guy like Bennett hadn't even hardly gotten any first-team reps and yet still was able to come in and secure the win yesterday. Arkansas is out of the way. There, there are no more Arkansas in the schedule for a little while now. You got Auburn this week. Georgia opened at eight. I think they dropped to seven, seven-point favorite at home. Uh, they have Tennessee the following week. They go to Alabama the week after that, and they go to Kentucky the week after that. All of these are losable games right now. Based on what we saw yesterday, all of those are losable games. There is a major void at quarterback for them. I don't think that's stating anything other than the obvious at this point. I cannot imagine them going any route other than Stetson Bennett starting against Auburn Saturday. And if that's something that any of you three months ago thought you would have found yourself saying when all the, all the preseason magazine hype was Jamie Newman versus JT Daniels, and then maybe Dewan Mathis and Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett's a guy who gives you good scout team looks. Now, that's your starting quarterback right now until further notice at the University of Georgia. Here's the biggest concern, though. Here's why that puts such a it's such, it probably installs a terminally low ceiling on this team. If your goal is a national championship or an SEC championship, the ceiling that Stetson Bennett, all due respect to him, starting at quarterback installs on this team is far below that standard. Reasons cause of the offensive line. Our guys over at Dogs247.com, Jake Rowe and Rusty and Kip and, and those guys, they have talked about for a few weeks now the fact that Georgia's offensive line run blocking is well ahead of pass pro. Dead on the money right. Pass protection left a lot to be desired yesterday. And here's the problem. Here's why I think they're not done with Dewan Mathis yet. I don't think they can be done with him. You have got to have an element of mobility at quarterback right now if you're Georgia. Partly because it adds an element to your offense. Partly so you don't get killed. Because an immobile quarterback is going to get obliterated behind that offensive line unless that offensive line has some serious growth week one to week two to week three to week four. And boy, that's, that's a problem because all I could think yesterday watching that Georgia game and all I could text some folks around Georgia uh, that weren't locked into the game was, are they about to waste this defense? Is this really about to happen? This is the kind of stuff that we talked about with Auburn in the past. Kevin Steele's got a top five defense out there and Auburn can't get out of their own way offensively. Are we about to be asking that with Georgia? I sure hope not. But I mean, if that week one is any indication, remember, remember the caveat at the start of the show, if week one is any indication going to be trying times for Georgia this year. Next question, and I guess this is the eternal question that everyone's got to hang their hat on at some point, or the point is now, is when is JT Daniels going to be clear, and what is he going to be? Who is he going to be for Georgia? That is the great unknown right now. If you have hopes in the back of your mind of this team still contending for not 8-2, and two, but a national championship, an SEC a national championship, JT Daniels has got to be a stud. And here's the problem. What did I just say about mobility? And what is this guy still not medically cleared because of? Yeah, it's, a, it's an ACL injury. And so I, again, he could wildly exceed expectation. I just watched KJ Costello throw for, like I said, about three quarters of a mile against LSU yesterday. So I guess anything can happen. But unless this does happen, and unless JT Daniels is the answer to all of their problems unequivocally, then... I don't know, but I also don't know what the alternative is. I'm just saying, as good as this defense is, and it's really good, Florida is going to make you score. Alabama is going to make you score. There is going to come a time, probably a couple of times in this season, for any team, even Georgia, where you've got to saddle up a quarterback to win a game. It's going to happen. I, I can tell you it is an inevitability. I don't care how many times you simulate the season on Xbox. It's going to happen. And they do not have a guy right now who can do that. Let's stay in the East. Well, I guess this is a West-East matchup, but um, Florida looked pretty good yesterday offensively, 51-35. to 35. Let me rephrase. Florida looked fantastic offensively yesterday. Kyle Pitts, I think, was the best football player I watched yesterday. 
He was incredible. Uh, that is the tight end for the few out there who are unfamiliar. Eight catches, 170 yards, four touchdowns. That's a good month for Kyle Pitts that he had in one day yesterday. Kyle Trask was phenomenal. 30 of 42, 416, and six touchdowns. I want you to notice a few things, and there were many things to notice for this Florida offense. I want you to notice that they answered repeatedly questions that we had had on this show, up to and including the grand season preview that we did for Florida the other day. These numbers for Trask, they weren't cheap. If you watch the Miami-Louisville game in week one, Derek King had some throws where he had a receiver in their own zip code with no defender anywhere in the screen. That wasn't the kind of completion that Kyle Trask was making routinely yesterday. Uh, He looked so good. The precision was there. The good decision-making was there. The pocket awareness was there. Everything you would want from a guy who is capable of playing at a championship level at the quarterback position, it was there. There are several reasons to be ecstatic. Not only that, it wasn't just the Kyle Pitts show. He got everyone involved. Every one of their receivers involved, and they're deep there. They are very, in fact, we really undersold, and I'll, I'll admit this, we really undersold that Florida wide receiver unit's potential on our grand season preview. Some of you called us out on it, and uh, you're right. And uh, I'm not just going to say we were wrong, because I hate saying that, but we certainly sold them short. I'll tell you that. Now, having said that, Florida's defense was awful yesterday. It was terrible. Uh, they were down a lot of guys, and I think that has a lot to do with it. They were down Stewart, and then Sean Davis got ejected. And this is a mouthful when I say this, because it was a bad day all around yesterday. Probably the worst call I saw in the SEC yesterday was the Sean Davis targeting ejection. Uh, I mean, Sean Davis probably got ejected for doing things he is coached to do yesterday. I don't know how else to put that. I I can't, uh, you guys, I I got so much respect for these players who get ejected for textbook defense and they maintain their composure. I got respect for the coaches, the full-grown adults who were able to do it. But the players... How in the world players maintain their composure knowing they just did what they're supposed to do and they're getting ejected from a game for it beyond me? But Kyrie Campbell was out, Moon was out, and a lot of these absences on this Florida defense, that's what Lane Kiffin went after. When you watched receivers continuing to run free (laughs) across the middle of the field, that's what being down a couple of safeties will do for you. That's what being down a jack linebacker will do for you. So I think a lot of that's rectified when you get those guys back. You remember my biggest question when we were talking about Florida, though, was championship caliber depth. It wasn't the starting guys. If, if all those starting names on your depth chart, if they're out there all year, Florida can win a national championship. That's how good they are. Uh, the problem is that's never happened in the history of the sport. Your depth is going to be tested and you don't know where and you don't know when it's going to be tested though. So uh, they won yesterday because they have a far superior roster. This was our favorite play on the entire board. Florida minus 12 and a half. We got it early. We gave it to you and Lane Kiffin tried to backdoor us, but to no avail. I don't have a problem at all with some of the boldest statements that are being made right now. Some people in the Florida fan base and elsewhere are starting to draw parallels. They didn't even have to wait for the season to start. They did it before that. They're starting to draw parallels. You know where I'm going to the 2019 LSU team, which is ludicrous because I don't think anyone's ever going to duplicate that, at least not for quite a while. However, in principle, I don't have any problem with it. And I know I'm normally the pump the brakes guy here. I don't have any problem with it. This is not some prediction that says Florida is going to equate to 100% of the production that LSU was able to amass last year. It's not that. I want you to think past the numbers, and I want you to think about principle. What did LSU have? What all happened last year? Well, they had a great big giant green check market quarterback, so Florida does have that. They had a head coach or an offensive coordinator in that case last year. In this case, it is the head coach for Florida who calls the plays. They had that stuff figured out. And when I say call, you know, you understand what I mean when I say call plays. They had that figured out. There is a great big green check mark next to that box. You know what else they had last year? They had skill and a wide variety of skill at the perimeter, tight end positions. I think we can definitively conclude that Florida has that. They had a capable run game. Florida, for that matter, played yesterday out about like I would always play it out if I were them. I would come out of the gate ultra explosive, knowing all the while I got two or three running backs that I can lean on to salt a game away late. It's kind of the way they tried to handle it yesterday. That's the way LSU did it last year. That's the way Florida can do it this year. What were the biggest questions? This time last year, and then week two, week three, week four, no one was crowning LSU a national champion. No one was predicting them to win the West. You know why? 
because their defense wasn't on par with what it needs to be. But do you remember why? And well, Ed Orgeron would tell you it's just because Dave Arand is a third grader. But in real life, it was just because they were without some guys. And then they started getting guys back. And then you know what happened? Magically, the defensive numbers started to improve. Florida's going to start getting guys back. And their defensive numbers will improve. How much will they improve? To that degree, that's, that's where the SEC Eastern Division questions still remain. But I don't have any problem. If someone says, the team that reminds me the most of 2019 LSU that I've seen so far is Florida, I don't have any problem with you saying that. I think there are a lot of parallels to be drawn there. Now, as for Ole Miss, I think Ole Miss found their quarterback. There was a huge question in Oxford, publicly behind the scenes. You had John Reese Plumley and you had Matt Corral over there, and one of them has this skill set and these sets of question marks, and then the inverse is how you define the other quarterback. Well, Matt Corral had a pretty darn good day yesterday. And while they fell short, it was a lot to be taken away offensively. The two biggest questions that I had, one of them with each team here, aside from the obvious coming out of this, is first, is the perception of Florida about to change? And is it about to radically shift on the recruiting trail? Because I want you to imagine being a perimeter skill guy, being a quarterback, being any of a number of guys, and they need them all over the place. Watching that yesterday, it's the first time you've probably watched Florida and you said, I think I can actually win a national title there. That's what it feels like to me. Remains to be seen if that's how it pans out. We'll see. Florida's already got a good class. Can it be a great class? We'll see. With Lane Kiffin, it's really simple. How quickly can you overhaul your defensive roster? That's it. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You speak. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Moving on. Other SEC takeaways. we got to go all around the conference here. I think Nick Saban has exactly what he wants at Alabama. Uh, yesterday, it was a very ho-hum final score. It was 38-19. to And this is a far cry from the 59 to 10 or 63 to 17 that you would expect when they had Tua Tungavailoa there. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this very clearly. I think Nick Saban likes this combination that he has on this team better than he had on those teams. And I'll tell you the reason why. Mac Jones at quarterback was very efficient for them yesterday. He did everything that they need him to do. He's got elite wide receiver skill talent still on that team, but they also have the pieces for a dominant run game. They didn't have dominant rushing numbers yesterday. They have the offensive line to do it. They have the skill in the backfield to do it. And here's the other big takeaway for Alabama. That defense looked like Alabama. Physically, they looked about as good as an Alabama defense has looked in a while, but they were fast. That's what I noticed. They were fast, very decisive. And they played a lot of young guys who also fit that description. Great blend of size and speed defensively. But what I want to remind you is, Alabama's no different than every other team. Yesterday was the version 1.0 of this year's team. So stands to reason if you believe in week-over-week week incremental improvement, yesterday was the floor for Alabama. It's going to be a really good team. And when they get that run game where they want it, it usually takes them a few weeks to get there. When they get there, they're not hanging 60 on people. What they will play is a brand of football that is so much lower in variance. It's so much higher in reward while being lower in risk than what they've done in the past few years. And it's going to take a little bit longer to pull away from teams. The margins of victory may be a little more compressed, but yet the fate of the game will be well within hand long before they've stretched it to 40 points. I think Nick Saban's got exactly what he wants when they get rolling you know, when they peak, in other words, they'll be right there with Clemson and Ohio State. I firmly believe that. Auburn 29, Kentucky 13. So I had a back and forth with one of you yesterday in the comment section. 
listen, I've got all the respect in the world for you, and you come in here by the hundreds, and you give your score predictions. That's great. That's what this is. That's why the comment section is there. And I encourage you to do that. And if you give me score predictions, or if you tell me I'm going to be wrong on something, and you come back after the game, I'm there for it. I'm there to listen to you. Even if I'm mad about it, I'm there to listen to you. What I'm never here for, and what I probably just delete most of the time, is people who are ghosts in the pregame, and then they want to talk after the game. I, guys, I could go 10 for 10 giving you the correct lotto numbers if you would let me watch the drawing before I picked. How, what kind of skill is there in that? Most of the time, the grammar is so atrocious, I don't even get through to the logic of it. I just delete it. But one of you came in yesterday, and you said, well, I guess your model was wrong on this. And if you were uh, new to the show, we give you our own take on every game. We give you the Vegas number. We give you our number. We use separate numbers to arrive at what our number is going to be. That's just a true projection on what we think the margin of victory will be for the favorite. So the line was Auburn minus seven to seven and a half, and we had Auburn winning by four. So they won by, what they win? Uh, 16. They won by 16. So someone comes in the chat yesterday and says, I guess your model was wrong. It wasn't wrong at all. We got exactly what we thought we'd get from this game. In fact, I was very happy with uh, the way our model performed in this game yesterday. And you, you just have to understand why we do this. Like, what is a model? It's a it's an aggregate of a thousand simulations of a game. It's it's football, guys. They score in threes and sevens. So one bounce of the ball could equal seven 14-point swings. It's You're not going to nail every final score. What are we trying to do? We're trying to get a better read on this than an odds maker has, than a Vegas number has. I want you to think about something here. And I'll explain to you why a 16-point margin, while we thought it was going to be four, was perfect performance from our model. We value a turnover at about four and a half points. Okay? So yesterday... Auburn wins the game 29-13. to 13. That's a 16-point win. We thought they would win by four points. They were plus three in the turnover battle. So that's good for 13.5 points. 13.5. They won by 16. You subtract 16, 13.5. You get uh, Auburn by about 2.5. So that's about two points away from where we thought the final would be. We thought Kentucky would cover. We thought it would be a nail-biter. There is no system known to man that can forecast turnover. So we always assume zero to zero or even in the turnover battle. Auburn won the turnover battle. Auburn won the game yesterday. It's a very good win for Auburn. I'm just saying the game went how we thought it would. Like our model nailed that. We just plus three turnovers is something you can't see coming. Several reasons to be- I think this. I think there are several reasons to believe this Auburn team probably has a little bit higher ceiling than a lot of folks have thought. I think they're the greatest unknown. We called them the great mystery team in college football in 2020. Um, They didn't sparkle yesterday, but there were parts of them that did. I thought they answered a lot of questions defensively. I think they have to overall be very happy with the way that uh, certain elements of that defensive front um, performed yesterday. But having said that, um, Kentucky outgained them. Kentucky was on the field longer. Kentucky ran more plays. These are things that don't matter if you win the game. But moving forward, it kind of does matter when you're trying to forecast what a team is. They got an all-SEC wide receiver in Seth Williams. And some would have told you he was that caliber last year. They just didn't have the quarterback to take advantage of it. Well, Bo Nix, listen, I think it's fair to say he's progressed, which is more than we've said for Auburn quarterbacks in the past that are homegrown under Gus Malzahn. So in and of itself, that's already a comforting thing. Uh, Anthony Schwartz still runs like a sub-3540, so he's still out there. Uh, They've got a couple of elements. I would like them to be deeper in how many of those all-SEC caliber elements they have on the perimeter, but... That linebacker group is exactly what we expected. So there are there are elements, there are parts of this team who have only which have only scratched the surface of what they're capable of. They got a shot this week to go to Georgia. They're a seven to seven and a half point dog. They go up there and win this week. Oh, I can tell you, what do we have? We got about fourteen hundred people watching the show right now. That'd be over two thousand. In fact, Colin, either outcome next week probably means a huge spike in traffic. We got a lot of Auburn and Georgia folks who watch. So it's a good win for Auburn. You got to be sick if you're Mark Stoops because that thing went exactly how he wanted it to go. If you drew it up, that's exactly how you would draw it up, man. They were, they were, they were cutting. They were just, they were slow bleeding Auburn, paper cut after paper cut and turnover, turnover, turnover. That exchange towards the half where Kentucky just flat out scored a touchdown. And then the SEC said, you know that touchdown you just scored? No, you actually didn't score one. And then the next play, one of the most atrocious decisions of the afternoon anywhere, was Terry Wilson throwing the pick. And then Auburn tries to return that for a pick six. And then they get called, what was it, illegal block, uh, targeting, whatever the case was. Um, just a brutal exchange there for the SEC officiating office. I, I am not a guy who normally bangs on officiating. I don't do that. 
I just thought it was a terrible day for the conference yesterday. It was a great day that they were playing football, though, so I'm not going to bang them too much. Let's move on. Tennessee wins 31-27 over South Carolina. Some of you pointed this out, and you were right. My biggest fear for Tennessee was that special teams was going to come back to bite them. I didn't think they had gotten a lot of their guys enough reps because they had had a lot of guys out with COVID. And while Tennessee did not have what you would call an A-plus or A-minus performance special teams-wise yesterday, neither of these teams did because special teams was pretty atrocious for South Carolina to win just when it looked like South Carolina was about to get the ball with a chance to win it. What happens Something that I wish we used a different term to describe occurred. The old inadvertent touch. And you see why I'm uncomfortable with it. The old inadvertent South Carolina touch on a punt, which I'm quite frankly surprised doesn't happen more often. With as many guys who are around a ball, and as strange as that ball can bounce, I'm surprised the old inadvertent touch doesn't happen more often. But boy, did it touch South Carolina at the wrong time. So, Carolina loses the game. Tennessee wins. I I don't think that there's much to break down here. This is not a game where you would sit there and take away things that are really going to matter a whole lot in week eight. I don't think either of these teams in week eight will look remotely like they did yesterday. But if I were a Tennessee fan, here's my advice to you. If you ever, over the next week, feel the need to complain about anything that happened yesterday, I want you to remember two words. One of them is Georgia, and the other one is state. Georgia State. And then if you still are mouthy, I got three more letters for you. They are B, Y, and U. You're one and O. Take it and move on. You got Missouri coming to town this week. More on that game in a little bit. Same questions remain for South Carolina. I don't really know which direction you go. I I just I look at the team, and usually even with subpar teams, there are some rays of hope. There are areas that you can lean on. There are areas that are dependable that you know you can count on. What are those for South Carolina? What, what are the facets of that team that, you know, I mean, that's going to show up for us. Like this element, ground game is going to be there. This passing attack is going to be there. Man, our, our edge rushers are going to be there. Our lockdown corners are going to be there. None of that exists. This is not a, a terrible team, but they're playing in the wrong conference to just be a little below average. Because below average gets you 2-8 and eight or 3-7 and seven in this year down here. And by the way, final piece of advice to Will Muschamp. The camera's always rolling, man. I don't care if you think you're playing around. The camera's always rolling. And if those of you out there who don't know what I'm talking about, well, I, we can't play it. It has one of the worst expletives known to the English language, but Will Muschamp said a dirty word, and boy, did it leak yesterday in a big way. All right, uh, the Big 12. The Big 12 was a dirty word. Just... All-encompassing. The Big 12 itself was a dirty word yesterday. When you are... I was trying to search for a metaphor. Forgive me. This is the best I could do. I'm in the middle of a Netflix series right now. Ratchet. After Nurse Ratchet. But she's got her own series now. So I'm in the middle of that right now. So, like, if I've had a bad day today... I haven't. It's been a pretty good day. But if I've had a bad day... If you're ever in the middle of a Netflix series or, you know, you're in the middle of a show... Even when things are going terrible, you know, man, at least at the end of the day, I'll get to go home. I'll get to watch that. And so it's just something, it's a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Maybe it's your pet. You get to go home and see your dog. Hopefully you have a loving family. You go home and see your loving family. Whatever the case may be, you hope to have a light at the end of your tunnel. And in the Big 12, that light is supposed to be. Even as Louisiana beats Iowa State, even as Arkansas State beats Kansas State, even as Coastal Carolina for the second year in a row, beats Kansas and Oklahoma State struggles against Tulsa, all the, all the nastiness of your day aside, you're supposed to be able at the end of the day to come home and see Oklahoma pound someone by half a hundred, and you're supposed to see Texas take care of business. Oh, you and Texas. Oh, my. Yesterday, Oklahoma, after leading 35-14 against the aforementioned Kansas State Wildcats, most recently known for falling to Arkansas State, don't even try to apply the transitive property here. It will only confuse you. But most recently, that's when you saw Kansas State. Well, they, uh, they went into Norman, trailing 35-14, and inexplicably won a game yesterday, 38-35. If you watch a lot of SEC football, this would have been very familiar to you. Just one year ago, Georgia was favored by between three and four touchdowns against South Carolina. And Georgia outdid South Carolina in every box score way imaginable. But they were minus four turnovers, and Carolina stunned them at home in Athens, stunned them. This was Georgia, South Carolina. It just happened about a thousand miles to the west, and it was in Oklahoma instead. Oklahoma owned the box score. 
Oklahoma minus four turnovers. Oklahoma loses the game. Oklahoma fans are irate at, among other things, this man, Lincoln Riley, their head coach. And I want to tell you something. I don't blame you. A lot of times, I'm of the opinion that you need to pump the brakes. It's never as bad as it looks. But listen, like I was talking to Colin about before the show, this is not the NFL. The NFL, everything about the league is structured to just push everything to the middle. Everything's supposed to be eight and eight. Everything's supposed to be parity driven. This is college football. That's not the way it is here. The sport is so heavily tilted towards Oklahoma over a team like Kansas State that you should never lose to them. Ten times out of ten, Oklahoma should be favored by four touchdowns over K-State. And the only thing you should be sweating at the end is whether they're going to cover, not whether they're going to hold on for dear life and win, which they did not. This offensive line was incredibly bad yesterday, inexplicably bad. I would contend I should be able, when you think about the nature of this sport and how heavily it's tilted towards the Oklahomas of the world, I should be able to shade the top 10 players off your roster. You should still have no problem with Kansas State. That wasn't the case yesterday. I know football is a lot more nuanced than that, but at a 50,000-foot level, I think that principle applies. So Urban Meyer, famously, well, Urban Meyer was already famous, but he goes on air yesterday afterwards and said, Oklahoma's done. They're out of the playoff. And then some people said, "Uh uh-uh, they lost to Kansas State last year and they still made it. Well, there are many things 2020 is, but 2019 is not one of them. So I think he's right, actually. Now, Texas is still alive somehow. 63 to 56 was the final there in overtime, no less. They um, had to come from behind to stun Texas Tech. You heard me right. 15-point come-from-behind win in the final three minutes. I am not punting on Texas. Now, don't get me wrong. This was an atrocious game. We had a a Texas Tech onside kick. We had a block punt. It It was a muff punt for a touchdown. But, hey, Texas did some of those same things, uh, thankfully. What you may think, if you didn't watch this game, and judging by the numbers, a lot of you did not, is you may think these offenses just went up and down the field all day yesterday. Neither of these teams uh, surpassed 480 yards of total offense. That wasn't the kind of game it was. It was hideous. There were special teams miscues all over the place. looked like pinball, except they were wearing helmets, and they were actually real-life human beings there. But it was really weird. It was like kind of one of those one-in-a-million type games, but they count. So Texas got the win. I still like Texas to win the Big 12. I just think that with every one of these weeks, where in a, in a year where style points are going to matter so much, every one of these weeks that happen where you have these inexplicable results, I mean, Oklahoma loses. Texas wins, but that's, not, that's, that's a stink that remains on you for a little while. The Big 12 title hopes are still there. The college football playoff hopes, I don't necessarily know. Uh, There's a lot to fix out there, too, but, man, at least they got the win. Because, trust me, it could be a whole lot worse. But the Big 12 right now is a rough, rough product to watch, top to bottom. Uh, TCU, i I got to rub my temples when I talk about that. I I don't even know how to explain what happened there yesterday. I mean, Max Duggan is cleared, and he doesn't play the first half. And then he does play the second half, leading one to surmise he had to have been suspended. And that hasn't been confirmed, but I don't know what other explanation there is. And it was too little too late, and they end up losing to Iowa State. So I say all that because I just imagine the Oregons of the world who are sitting out there listening to everyone tell them there are not going to be enough spots at the playoff table for you, even if you go 7-0. and There just aren't going to be because you think about the SEC, and you think about the Big Ten, and you think about the ACC and the Big 12, well... The more you see this, are we thinking about the Big 12? I don't know. Still a long shot. I just think the shot is a lot shorter than it was yesterday. And the other thing to think about here is, you know, you could have one of these crazy round-robin type deals where, like, um, Alabama beats Georgia in a few weeks, and then Georgia beats Florida, and then then they meet in Atlanta, and then Florida can't go to Atlanta. And you got three or four one-loss teams in a conference, two-loss teams in a conference. How are you uh, processing all that? I don't know. Still a long way away. I think it's pretty foolish to be talking about college football playoff scenarios right now. So just erase from your memory the past two minutes of the show. But pay close attention to this part of the show. The Ramen Noodle Express. Every Sunday night, we give you our best bet of the week. Last week, it was Florida minus 12 and a half. The reason we give it to you so early is because we're scared the line's going to move. And I've told you before, it doesn't always happen on the show. I eventually, on on Thursday night's show, I'm eventually going to show you every pick, all five picks for the week that we have. But at any point, 
I could move on these things. Now on Sunday, normally you're going to get it at this very moment, but today I moved earlier and I released it on Twitter, which I told you is going to happen from time to time. If I see a number out there that I know is going to move and I don't want to wait until Sunday night, it happened with Florida last, last week. I mean, we got them at 12 and a half and then it moved all the way to 15 and a half. So at late kick Josh, if you're not already following me on Twitter, you need to be there because I released that earlier today. However, if you don't follow me on Twitter or you weren't, I forgive you. And Colin still has the graphic ready. We're still going to show it to you right now. We got one we love. And that is Missouri going to Tennessee. This one is sitting at 10 right now. When I tweeted it out earlier, it was at 10 and a half. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that one fall into the single digits. In fact, I would be surprised if it didn't. There are a lot of external scheduling dynamics in Missouri's favor here. I watched Missouri bell to bell yesterday. I think that is a lot better football team than a lot of people had envisioned. And I had someone say, oh, it's because of all the garbage time points they scored that's misleading you. No, no, no. They could have scored zero points in the second half. And I would think that about them. I think this is a lot better. And a lot. it's a team with a lot better speed defensively than I was aware of, than I thought we were going to see from them. So Tennessee in two weeks plays Georgia. Tennessee is coming off a very emotional last-minute win yesterday. Missouri is coming in, and the scheduling dynamics are in our favor here. We're going to take the 10.5, Missouri plus 10.5. That is our first of, eventually, five plays. As I told you, the Late Kick Extra podcast, I'm liable to drop some of our plays there. It could happen on the show. Uh, it could happen on Twitter at any given point at 3 o'clock in the morning. So at Late Kick Josh is where you want to follow uh, me on Twitter. Um, also, we just have good back and forth during a game day on a Saturday because right now I'm not going to games because you can't do anything at the game, so I haven't been wasting my time doing that. So I'm very active on Saturdays right now. So uh, we have got a loaded week. we got some big games coming up this week. Auburn, Georgia is this week. A&M, they got a chance to shock the world. They go to Alabama this week, so we got a lot of big ones. Got Miami Clemson in a couple of weeks too. So looking forward to a lot. Don't miss a show. We got so much in every show. We do not waste a second on these things. And a lot of times what we talk about on this show is not necessarily what's making national headlines. We cut through to what matters, not what's going to get the most clicks. So, you know, we we may not have millions of views per show, but if you're a hardcore college football fan, you just want the information without all the um, extra, if you will, this is where you want to be. We do it three nights a week, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. We release two podcasts in addition to those three shows per week. The Late Kick with Josh Pate. Find us and leave us a five-star review, by the way, if you will. So uh, we're just getting started. Going to be a good season. Subscribe to this channel if you haven't already. I cannot put that in strong enough terms. There's a lot that we put on here that is not in the show. And so click that bell for notifications after you do it so you'll get notified when we release something. That's about it for tonight. Loaded Sunday night show. Thank you so much for joining us. For Director Colin, for Jordan on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate. Looking forward to hopefully a great season ahead of us. God bless. Have a great week. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.